Hello, and welcome to the Main Street Telegraph. I'm your host, B. Usually, I'm bringing you Disney headlines, but today's show is a little different. As you probably know, a couple of weeks ago, I visited the Walt Disney Family Museum for the first time. So today, I'll be giving a little background and history of the area, give a general description of what you can find there, and point out some of my favorite exhibits. I was considering doing a full walkthrough of the museum, but it is huge. It covers all of Walt's life at work and at home, and I couldn't possibly walk you through all of it in 15 minutes. The museum is located in San Francisco, in the Presidio, which is a former U.S. Army military fort, in the Golden Gate National Recreation Area. It opened in 2009, so about 10 years ago. It was created by the Walt Disney Family Foundation, a nonprofit that began in 1997. This was all spearheaded by his daughter, Diane Disney Miller. You'll likely remember from last episode that I spoke about her husband, Ron Miller, who recently passed away. Diane passed away in 2013. Diane started writing about her father in the 50s, publishing eight pieces for the Saturday Evening Post called My Dad, Walt Disney. In 2003, the Walt Disney Concert Hall opened on South Grand Avenue in downtown Los Angeles. This was also headed by Diane. Uh, Initial funding of $50 million was donated by her mother and Walt's wife, Lillian Disney. You can see a pattern here. Diane's passion for the arts, philanthropy, and her desire to keep the image of her father as a person alive so that he doesn't fade away or be swallowed by this idea of him as a corporate entity. As I said, the museum is located in the Presidio San Francisco. It's quite a large area with quite a history. In 1776, it became the site of a Spanish fort. When Mexico won independence from Spain, it was a Mexican fortification. In 1846, it was taken by the U.S. military at the beginning of the Mexican-American War. It was home to U.S. Generals George Henry Thomas and William Sherman. And, skipping a good bit of history here, it was an important center for defense of the West Coast during World War II. It was the longest continuously operated military installation in the United States. In 1996, it came under the management of the Presidio Trust by an act of Congress and is now managed in partnership with the National Park Service. Since then, they have worked to restore and remodel the historical buildings. There are about 800 buildings here. And they have become home to places like the Bay School of San Francisco and the Tides Foundation. Another Disney connection, however, was the Letterman Digital Arts Center, which opened in 2005, home to Industrial Light and Magic, Lucas Licensing, and Lucas Online. It's 900,000 square feet of office space and an underground parking garage for its 2,500 employees. That's pretty big. It took $110 million to turn Army Barracks, as well as two additional neighboring buildings, into the 19,000 square feet of gallery space for the Walt Disney Family Museum, and through it is a chronological view of the life of Walt Disney. The museum uses a lot of technology. There are more than 200 screens throughout. This includes areas where you're able to watch videos to ever-changing movie posters. Before you even enter the main museum, there are several large cases full of everything awarded to Walt Disney in his life, from all of his Oscars to the key to the city of San Francisco. And at a kiosk, you can actually view every single one of them. Again, I won't be taking you every step of the way, but the first room covers Walt's roots, as well as his life before his journey to California. 
There are many family pictures and a few screens that illustrate events during those years paired with a recording of Walt telling his own story. It's fairly well known that Walt joined the Red Cross during World War II, and you may also know that he lied about his age. While neither his mother nor his father were very hot on the idea, his mother decided it would be better to know where he was, and signed an affidavit listing her son's date of birth as December 5th, 1901. And you can listen to Walt himself tell about going in when she wasn't looking and changing that one to a zero. They actually have that piece of paper on display, and if you look closely, you can absolutely see it. This can be found on the display of a Model T Ford Ambulance, the type of vehicle Disney drove. From there, you get in an elevator to get up to the second floor. It's all decked out to look and feel like a train car, and when you exit, you are greeted with a big Hollywood sign. This area covers Walt's journey to California and his earlier work of the Alice comedies, which placed a live-action little girl in animated worlds. From here on, I'll just cover some of my favorite highlights. You can head over to MainStreetTelegraph.com to follow along with some pictures I took. One of the really impactful displays is a whole wall of 348 drawings from Steamboat Willie. Uh, this represents less than 15 seconds of the cartoon. There is a large display case full of Mickey Mouse merchandise to drool over. Here you will see another kiosk allowing you to view and read about all of the different pieces. Further on, there is a cabinet full of paint. Some I believe are original, while I think some are not. It wasn't quite clear. You can see labels like a jar of yellow paint marked Donald's Set. These are the pigments the ladies in ink and paint would use to color the animation cells. Also on display is a multi-plane camera, first used in the Old Mill and Snow White. This camera helped them create the illusion of depth. As the camera moves toward an object in the distance, you can see it pass elements, while others remain in the background. It's a camera pointing down towards five different levels, which can each be individually adjusted. It's so big though, as you view from the top of it, from the second floor, you can see down into the gift shop on the first floor, where you can inspect the lower portions of the device. You'll find a portion of the museum that addresses the 1941 strike, and I have to say, it doesn't candy coat it. It provides not only Walt's voice, but accounts from both sides, from those who participated and those who did not. There is also a corner devoted to the documentary and propaganda films produced during World War II, like Victory Through Air Power and Der Fuhrer's Face. You have the opportunity to sit on a bench from the Griffith Park Carousel, it's part of the famous and not quite so true story that Walt got the idea for Disneyland while sitting on the bench watching his daughters ride the carousel. Now, it's just inaccurate to say that that is where the bolt of lightning hit, but it was definitely part of his desire to create a clean amusement park for families. My favorite room is quite large. Uh, you follow a ramp down and around past Disney's toy train, which he kept in his backyard, the original model of Fantasyland Castle, and a huge diorama of Disneyland. Just a heads up, when you get to the diorama, you are not allowed to hold your phone over the railing above it to take a photo. I believe they are trying to protect it from damage. It's absolutely huge and represents, as an employee put it, Walt's vision of Disneyland. There's a lot to look at in this area, but I think also worth pointing out is the ginormous Circle Vision camera. 
You can also find an optical printer number two, or aerial image printer, which was used to combine images like putting live actors into animated sequences, or cloning an actor, like in The Parent Trap. As I said at the beginning of this show, the museum covers the story of Walt's life, and it has an ending, with Walt's death in 1966. An old-fashioned TV displays reports of that sad day, and along the wall, art from those who mourned his passing and celebrated his legacy. That is where you exit the main galleries. If you desire, you can view the bottom section of the multiplane camera in the gift shop. And if you want to go shopping, you can find a lot of independently authored books all about Walt and the Walt Disney Company. There's also mugs, t-shirts, postcards, and pins if you're a collector. They also have a cafe where you can grab a snack and a coffee. I have a few tips for those looking to visit. The museum has a lot to look at, and if you're fairly meticulous, you may want to consider stopping for a break halfway through. It's easy to get caught up and forget to eat. My second tip is don't be in a rush. There is video and audio at every turn as well as interactive exhibits. There really is something here for everyone. If you're interested in Walt's family life, you can find that throughout. If you have an appreciation for the films, there are a lot of details. And if you're an artist, there is a wealth of information and inspiration here for you too. I want to add that the museum was immaculate, and all of the interactive exhibits and screens were working and looked really nice. Which is perfect. They're sticking to some of Walt's most basic ideals. And finally, it was honestly just a really moving experience. It was wonderfully executed and definitely revisitable. And that's all for this week's show. If you have any questions, comments, concerns, corrections, or just want to yell at me for being pretty consistently late lately, you can email me, b at MainStreetTelegraph at gmail.com. You can find and download shows over at MainStreetTelegraph.com. You can also listen over at iTunes, Google Podcasts, Google Play, Stitcher, Overcast, Radio Public, Spotify, and CastBox. If you like the show, head on over to iTunes and give it a rating. It helps. And if you really loved it, tell a friend. Have a wonderful week.